This is Brant Pemvidic, author of The Three-Minute Rule. Say less to get more from any pitch or presentation. And you are listening to The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on The Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help us both keep up with the latest ideas in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction and save you time. This show is a labor of love that I do in my spare time. My day job is running a marketing agency where we work with manufacturers to help them grow. If that sounds like your company and you're serious about growth, check out our guide to lead generation for manufacturers on our website, salesartillery.com, or Google lead generation for manufacturers, and you'll find the guide atop the organic results. Now, the number one worry I hear from listeners is that they feel they aren't reading enough books to be more successful. So, special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Blinkist, which is an app that takes the key insights from the best nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just a few minutes on your smartphone. Several of the books featured on the Marketing Book Podcast are on Blinkist. You can sign up for free at Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. Blinkist is spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. And if you opt for the paid version, you'll get an additional 20% off, but only if you go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. I also have a link to it at MarketingBookPodcast.com. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome Brant Penvidic to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his new book, The Three-Minute Rule, Say Less to Get More from Any Pitch or Presentation, published by Portfolio Penguin. Brant Penvidic is an award-winning film director, veteran television producer, and an accomplished public speaker, C-level corporate consultant, and the founder and CEO of Envelop entertainment. During his more than 15-year career as a television and film producer, Brand has created, developed, sold, and produced more than 300 television projects, including smash hits like The Biggest Loser, Bar Rescue, Master Chef, and Extreme Makeover, Weight Loss Edition. He has been named to the Hollywood Reporter of 30 Most Powerful Reality Players five times. And interesting fact... He has had breakfast with rock star Bon Jovi. He owns a 1969 GTO Judge Convertible, cherry red with pristine white interior, and his favorite movie is Braveheart. Brant, congratulations on the three-minute rule, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Oh, man, I'm bringing you with me on the road with that intro. That's how I like to roll. (laughs) Terrific. Well, you you revealed a lot about yourself in the book, and I really uh, enjoyed it. (laughs) And so I just have to say, you are a real, obviously, very uh, successful television executive in the you know Los Angeles, the Hollywood area, and and I want you to know that just in the in the brief moments that we've been talking to each other, I already feel more glamorous. 
I love that. I bring glamour with me. That's what I do. I do glamour. There you go. And I, I, I think I might actually be even better looking, but I, I'm not going to push it. So <laughs> it's just, we're only audio here, buddy. Okay. Don't get thank, ahead of yourself. Thank goodness for the listener. So I first heard about your book when I interviewed your friend Oren Claff, uh, who is the author of uh, Flip the Script. That's what I interviewed him about. And he also wrote the bestseller Pitch Anything. And he's also, uh, so I guess I, you could say he's one of your uh, Los Angeles-based uh, homeboys. Yeah. And uh, he's a guy who, you know, I think he probably loves the sound of his own voice. And, you know, he, he doesn't talk about other people too much. So when he mentioned you and your book, I knew this was <laughs> a big deal. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you pegged it perfectly, yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, I, I, I enjoyed my interview. I enjoyed his book. I thought he was a real uh, interesting uh, guy. And you mentioned uh, that you had lunch with him not too long ago. And I, and I know that you won't, you know, you're the kind of guy that wouldn't divulge what you and Oren talk about at, at lunch. But, and I don't want you to confirm or deny this, but I can only imagine that most of the lunch, you guys are probably talking about his interview on the Marketing Book Podcast and how, how you can best prepare for this. So I just want the, the yeah. listeners to appreciate that. Yeah, and that's why, I mean, I drove down to Encinitas just to sort of get prepared for this particular interview because he had the insight I needed. So yeah. I'm always prepared for these kind of things. So and this Excellent. is a big one. This is a big one for me. So I, I really appreciate you making the time. So yeah, I brought well, in the big guns to prepare. There, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. And now- Brant, I'm sure that you get pitched uh, ideas for TV reality shows throughout the day, every day, every time somebody meets you. And yes. so I, I just thought I'd torture it a little bit more because I, I just wanted to share this one idea. It seems to me that the sleep aid industry is a neglected one. And there are a lot of people that have trouble sleeping. So there's a lot of uh, money to be found. And if you, if you might develop a reality TV show about a guy who has a, a podcast and he interviews authors of new marketing and sales books, because I, I think you could air that like from midnight to 4 a.m. <laughs> and it could really help those suffering people who are having trouble falling asleep. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can make that uh, proclamation not come true today. I'll tell you. Okay. I'm going to light up your I'm going to light up this podcast. Okay. That's what's uh, going to happen. All right. All right. So I just have to say that everything in your book is uh, something that we actually would like to do for our clients. It's like a this if we could do uh, what you have in your book, and we could do that like with new new clients, this would make a lot of what we do even uh, more effective. So the reason I say that is just if you ever start an online training course or certification program for what's in your book, uh, please let me know. I would think there's a big demand for for further instruction based on, on yeah, what's in your book. Uh I, I love that idea. Some of that stuff's in the work. It's just, there's, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of oh, work. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Together, so. Absolutely. But it brought to mind the building a story brand. Uh, yeah. Donald Miller, he's got a whole, he's, you know, he, of course, he's years ahead of, uh, his book came out a few years ago, but he's he's teaching people uh, how to put to work what's in, what's in the book. And I realize you have a lot of things going on. So uh, I wanted to read one excerpt from the book, but one thing I did want to promise the listener is that uh, at some point we have to talk about maybe a few of your Ten Commandments as it relates to, power, uh, relates to PowerPoint and how <laughs> PowerPoint is oh. really uh, 
a very uh, destructive... It's um, a scourge. Yes, that's right. That's right. So let me just read this one excerpt, and uh, we can start to get into some of this. So you say, this book is a step-by-step guide that will show you how to simplify your message by strategically condensing your business product or service down to the most valuable and compelling elements. Then, using high-level Hollywood storytelling techniques, you'll learn to convey those elements in a concise and convincing fashion. This system is based on the core principles behind the three-minute rule. Everything of value about your company, idea, product, or service can and must be conveyed clearly, concisely, and accurately in three minutes or less. In the first three minutes, you need to vividly illustrate the most valuable elements of your proposal, capture and maintain your audience's attention, and most important, create engagement. By following this rule, you will be able to say less and get more. Bam. And I could go on, but I, I want the listeners to hear from you. You explain in the book that you didn't just come up with this one day. This took years to develop. And like me, you figured out a lot of things by doing them wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I was wondering if, of course. if you could share with us some of the journey, the story of how you ultimately came up with uh, this approach. Well, there's sort of two TV stories that sort of dovetail together that that started me on the journey that evolved into where we are today. And the first one was, I was pitching a show uh, to CBS. And the guy who ran CBS in programming was a legendary stoic figure. And he he had this sort of mythical reputation of being so stone-faced in a room and that if you didn't get him interested, he would say nothing to you, just base. And at the end, he'd just go, thanks, I got it. And that's it. And then you'd get up and leave the room. Mm-hmm. He would give you no facial indication that he liked what you were saying. He never smiled. Oh my God, he never smiled. Uh, he never said like, oh yeah, oh, I get it. None of that. You got no <laughs> feedback. It was like, I'm I'm not even kidding. It was like pitching a stone wall. Well, it sounds like torture. Yeah, and it was. And I think he enjoyed that. But also, and I've come to know him quite well now over the years. And I realize that there actually is, from a network television perspective as a buyer, there is some advantages to to playing it that way. And it's funny because he's, that's rubbed off and a few other executives that have come after him follow that same structure because there is some advantage, but that's a whole other story. Anyways. So one time when I was really sort of early in my career, I was pitching him and it was a big TV show and it was about a sort of a gambling show when poker was like the, the all the rage. And it was a competition elimination where sort of there was a big poker game at the end that would decide who got eliminated. If you pictured Survivor, but instead of voting people out, they had to play this really cool poker game at the end and whoever lost was, you know, basically off the island, mm-hmm. metaphorically speaking. So to illustrate that game, at the end, I had rigged a set of cards that I could play with him. So I was going to say, again, here we go. Let's play what the end game looks like. I'll show you how much drama and in- intrigue and excitement this could be, right? And I had rigged the cards so that it would play like the greatest back and forth duel ever, right? And he was going to be so excited. And I had played it at the office 15 times and everybody loved it. And it was great. But I... Early in my career, I was about sort of show and trying to impress people with my pitch and using my personality, and and I never really had information as the core leading. It was it was a you know a sales pitch basically, mm-hmm. and Gen was the kryptonite to that. And so in the middle of this pitch, it was going so terribly wrong, and and sort of like almost like the jokes or the lines that I was using to like you know make this pitch flow was just falling flat, and I was getting flustered and. It wasn't coming across, you know, clearly at all. It was a big mess. And what I didn't realize is that I had inadvertently in my nervous sort of energy as I was explaining it, I had been shuffling the cards in my hand mm. in a nervous energy. 
And so when I started to realize that halfway through the pitch that I shuffled the card, now obviously I'm, I'm internally panicking because I've realized I've just ruined this end game. So then the rest, the last half of the pitch was even worse than the first half. And when my agent finally literally stood up and stopped me in the middle of the pitch and said, Hey, like, let's just play the end game. Dan will totally get it. And we went to play the end game and it was like the most ludicrously stupid deal ever where it was just like, you know, he didn't have to make any decisions. There was no drama or intrigue. He's just like, and he said, okay, great. I got it. Thanks. I'll let you know. And that was it. The pitch was over. And I was so devastated. And I said to myself, that's it. I am never going into a room not prepared again. I will never miss another word ever again. So I, I set out to sort of like build almost like a stand-up routine is what my idea was. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't having a lot of luck with that either. Because everything I thought was going to be funny or interesting or compelling fell flat a lot of times. So one time I was in the lobby of a major network and out of the pitch room walked Simon Cowell. And I was like, oh, damn, I got to go in after Simon Cowell. And he and I were talking and he kind of looked over my shoulder and there was Mark Burnett just walked in the room. And I realized, oh, my God, Mark Burnett is going to be going in to pitch right after me. Mm-hmm. So I'm wedged between these two mega producers. They were the hottest things in television at the time. I was a junior producer. I'm still a junior producer compared to them. And again, I started this wave of panic of thinking like, okay, well, what am I going to say in this room that the <laughs> buyers are going to find interesting or compelling or make them like me or get swept up in my story or any of that? I just was like, what am I doing? I'm going to be a fool. I'm going to look like an idiot. And so I said, like, you know what? I got to get out of this room as fast as possible. Like, that's what I got to do. I just got to get in and get out and just get the, I'm just going to tell them what the show is, how it works, why I think it's great for CBS and, and how we're going to produce it and get out of here. And so I went in and it was like a total of 11 minutes by the time I, from the time I walked in to the time I was back in the lobby. It was one of the best pitches I had done ever in my career at that point. We sold the show and I was like, oh my God, I got to do that. And so I started just pitching the idea, nothing else. I didn't make, I made, you know, you made small talks. Hey, how's it going? Oh, great. We're really excited to be here. Whatever. And then it was just like, here's the idea. Here's how it works. Here's why I think it's good for your network. And here's how we're going to produce it. Now you you thought of that just as you were going into that. Just as I went into that meeting, I was just, I just got to get out of that room without people being like, Oh God, who's this clown? Right. I just wanted to. And it was like, Within, I'm, I think it was within months, I was starting, my, my agent was starting to get calls saying like, what a great pitch that was. And, and soon I got this reputation as being the best pitch guy in Hollywood because every time I'd walk into a room, the, the buyer would 100% understand the show. And that was sort of my claim to fame. It's like, if, if, I, if you took a pitch meeting with me, you know you're going to get an idea. You knew you were going to understand it. You know it was going to be well crafted and laid out. And there was no other crap involved. And I didn't realize it until I sort of matured and understood the business more and had other jobs back on, on either side of the pitching sort of microphone. But, you know, that is something that is so coveted out there. You, people just want information. And, the, and in the network world, it was like they just desperately want to get the details because they got 19 other meetings to do. Yeah. And so this reputation just grew and grew. And then I just start playing into it. And it, it sort of made me who I am. And that kind of led me to using those skills in other areas of business and with other companies that had nothing to do with TV. And once that clicked, uh, I was, you know, TV became a distant second place for me. Mm -hmm. So before we go any further, I need you to explain whatever the hell an elevator pitch is and why this approach has nothing to do with that. 
Yeah, I mean, the, listen, the idea of an elevator pitch is I tell you something, you know, really hooky, catchy, that grabs your attention, you lean in and say, ooh, tell me more. And then I sort of like give you the little b- basics, and then you want to proceed further, right? The problem is that with the elevator pitch, we've all been taught that you start with this big proclamation. I have an investment that could make you 10 times in your money by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And the person in the elevator goes, ooh, tell me more. And <laughs> and you and they lean in and you're like, well, it's a, you know, it's a convertible bond, whatever. And it's like the truth is in today's world, your audience is already thinking this. It's like, oh my God, if someone said that to me in an elevator, I would like lean the other way, roll my eyes and be like, oh my God, get away from me, right? And it's because of the years of the bombardment of marketing and clickbait and advertising and the proclamations Yes. That we've had to make get so big and are so over the top and the results are so small. It's been a diminishing return. And since sort of Madison Avenue and the advertising world doesn't know what to do any different, they don't have another way to do it. (laughs) They've been using – this is a method called the state and prove method. Yes. And it's basically what you do is you basically state make a big statement and then try to prove it. And now today is second you start with a grand conclusion – everybody's looking to disprove it the second you start talking. So your entire pitch, people are judging everything you say against that original proclamation and they don't believe you. They're doubtful. I had to change my keynote speeches now because I used to talk about clickbait and about how you'd get caught by clickbait. But in now, over the last year, people don't even get caught by clickbait anymore because they know it. They're sensitive to it. They can see it. Nobody clicks on those ads anymore. No one clicks on those headlines because you know it's crap. Yes. Like that's how far and how fast we've progressed in our doubtful, hypersensitive audience, right? Yeah, I think and, it's hard to fool the human brain. Uh, it's much oh. more difficult than a lot of these uh, marketing uh, gurus think. And, yes. and actually, that takes us to uh, a point in your book where you, you say that the seismic shift in our culture, which you've been describing, creates a major problem, but it's also a great opportunity. So can you it's talk massive. about the opportunity that's brought on by this uh, – Pretty shrewd uh, yeah. ability of people to not be fooled. Well, here's here's what it is. Here's a great metaphor. At the turn of the century, Niagara Falls froze. Okay, I don't know if, if you know that, but yeah, it actually froze and stopped flowing. Now, at about three in the morning, the 5,000 residents of the town were shaken out of their bed, started wandering the streets in almost like a little bit of a panic because the sound of the falls freezing, the silence woke them up because the raging inferno of water that makes this huge roaring noise that they had become accustomed to stopped. And the silence was actually the loudest thing they had heard in years. And so in today's world, marketing, advertising, influence, everything out social media is a raging Niagara Falls level of information. And we as consumers have simply tuned it out. We just don't listen anymore. And what you find is simplicity and the confidence of just saying, stating th- something simple and clear and concise is deafeningly loud. It cuts through like a hot knife through butter. And I've found that, you know, in a pitching, a presenting, a selling, and marketing, anything that I've been working with any of the clients, if I can get them to simplify and just speak to their information, it resonates. The audience is like, whoa, like what is going on here? It's like that, it's like that cool guy that walks into the party and doesn't have to say anything, but everybody knows he's there. Yeah, it's like, like it Orrin Claff. Exactly. It just shakes you up and it conveys a layer of confidence that people just don't have today. 
And it just draws people. It, it draws them to engage. Yeah, it's like they're saying, wait a minute, what happened to the BS? I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like a pattern interrupt. They actually hear you. Like It's not that they, it's just noise. They actually hear what you're saying because you've simplified it down. And to, to have the confidence to not use a pile of words and to try to convince someone absolutely comes across. I have this great example where I say, like, imagine if you were getting married. It's the most important day of your life. And I wanted to cater your wedding. And I had Gordon Ramsay as the chef. How many words would I need to convince you of that, right? I need four. Probably two, uh, his, yeah. his first and last name. Right. I'd say, I have Gordon Ramsay, right? And that's it. Now, and how would I, would I feel confident about that? Would I be excited? Of course. But if I was going to try to get my brother-in-law, who's an ex-convict who doesn't really cook, but really needs a job, mm-hmm. like how many words would I need to convince you of that? Like I'd need a lot of words and I'd be trying to sell you and you would sense that. You have natural, almost subconsciously, you know. And so what I do in my keynote, I have this scale where it's like, listen, the value of your information, of what you're providing for somebody else, is somewhere on the scale between Gordon Ramsay and my ex-convict brother-in-law. And the more words you use will show your audience where you fit on that scale. Use more words, they instinctively know you're providing less value. Use less words, they instantly know that you're confident and you have something of value to give. We're going to take a break here so I can tell you more about how Blinkist might be the answer to one of your biggest worries. As I mentioned earlier, the number one worry I hear from listeners is that they feel they aren't reading enough books to keep up and be more successful, but there's only so much time and you need to manage it carefully. And unless you're, say, the host of the Marketing Book Podcast, you may not be set up to read a book every week. That's where Blinkist can really be a time saver and a career booster. Blinkist is a smartphone app that takes the key insights from over 3,000 best-selling nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes or less. Instead of having to wade through hundreds of pages of a book, spending hours reading each book like I do every week, you can go through two books in 30 minutes. And the books that are on Blinkist are from top-notch authors, many of whom have been guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, including Seth Godin, Guy Kawasaki, Robert Cialdini, Philip Kotler, David Merriman Scott, Anne Hanley, Bob Berg, John Jantz, Jonah Berger, Jill Conrath, Jeb Blunt, and many, many more, over 40 authors who have been on the show. Blinkist has been selected as one of the best apps by Forbes, the New York Times, and BuzzFeed, amongst others, and it's used by over 10 million people. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for Marketing Book Podcast listeners. Go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast right now, today, to start your free trial or get 20% off your yearly plan when you join. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast to start your free trial or get 20% off your yearly plan. And there's no risk because there's a free seven-day trial. Go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast, and that means you're going to be letting them know that you support the Marketing Book Podcast and that you want that discount. You'll get the free version or 20% off your annual plan. I also have a link to it at MarketingBookPodcast.com. It's a very smart investment in your success. And now... Back to the show. So share with us the most common misperceptions about uh, pitching in in the uh, presenting process. I think one of the most common misconceptions is that you need fancy and you need a lot. You need Mm -hmm. dynamic graphics or you need beautiful presentations or you need wordsmithing or neuro-linguistic programming or you need the right tie or you gotta, you know, you gotta have be good looking, or you gotta speak properly, or one of those things. Which right? just makes people more suspicious. 
Exactly. And it just doesn't, nobody cares. Like that's just what nobody gives a crap. You know what people want? They want to know what it is. Like, okay, what, what is it? And how does it work? Great. Okay. How do we do this? Like you can hear yourself in your mind saying that if you think about the last time you heard somebody was trying to tell you something and they're blabbing on, yeah. it's like your brain is saying, could you just tell me what, what this is? Like, can we just get to the point? <laughs> and so none of that other, none of that other stuff matters. I mean, I've had biotech scientists who sweated through their clothes in the middle of a, uh, their clothes in the middle of a presentation, who stumbled over the words so much he could barely understand them, who had to stop and go up to his slides and read them word for word because he was so nervous. Mm-hmm. But because the information was so clean and so clear, it was still effective. And I've had the most dynamic, beautifully dressed, you know, wonderfully looking model S type people that can speak like the greatest car salesman meets an announcer Mm -hmm. with a mangled information that people literally get up and leave the presentation. So it doesn't, none of that other stuff matters, right? That's number misconception. Number one. Well, and it might actually be harmful. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just said this last night in a keynote that I was doing. I was like, I, I actually have better luck training introverted people than I do extroverted people. Mm -hmm. Extroverted people like me with big personalities tend to overcompensate. They tend to be like, well, I don't have the mechanics down right, but I can just run fast. You know, like that's sort of the way uh, uh, someone who's sort of a natural athlete won't do the mechanics, right? And they'll just like, they'll just run out there and, and do the thing. But at some point that catches up with you. And it's the same thing. Like if you're a big personality and you're using that to get your pitches across and, and using that to over come some of the deficits in your information that that's going to catch up with you. Whereas an introverted person doesn't want their personality out there. They don't want to be big and bold and oversell it. They, they are naturally more inclined to listen to what I'm saying and make the information lead and use the value of what they provide as their core piece of business. And surprise, surprise, that works really well. Yeah. There was a TV show in the United States, at least uh, years ago, a detective TV show called Columbo. And he, he was very interesting. He was always sort of, as the, as the psychologist would say, he would sort of go not okay. Like, oh, I don't know. I'm confused. And you know, he was always scratching his head. And, but he was able to solve all these crimes because he just didn't come across as, uh, as right. real slick. And people would start to let their guard down. Yeah. So I'm sorry. I think I interrupted. You were going to tell me another. Uh, oh, yeah. The other big misconception is that I can't simplify my business in three minutes. That's just like everybody says the same thing. My my business is complicated. What I offer, what I what I offer is very complex. It has a lot of layers. Like everybody says, I just got an email this morning from someone on my website who's giving me their sort of their pitch because if you read the book, I let you go on there. And it, this his opening thing is, well, trying to teach people about emotional intelligence is very complicated, and so I I couldn't really simplify it. I was like, oh my god, like I just wrote a chapter about this. Now, like everybody's thing can be simplified. It's just that simple. Like it can be. Well, yeah, and there's so many examples in the book of yeah. something where I, even I was yeah. thinking like no way. <laughs> and you and you yeah. did it. Well, let's talk a little bit about the uh the process. We can't get into great detail, but the the WAC process, the W H A C. Can you Oh yeah. Go well, walk I mean, us that, through that a little bit of that. That is the core, right? Yeah. Because basically what people want to know 
is they want to know like, okay, where do I start? How do I do this? And, and I have a great exercise where I show you how to bullet point out your ideas and simplify them that way. Turn those bullet points into statement of value so you can have little sentences that you can see how to order them. And then you put them through this, what I call the whack filter. Mm-hmm. And whack is oh, an and acronym. I should say, Brant, thanks to you, there's now about 45 post-it notes on our whiteboard. <laughs> we're starting to do this and it's like, dang, I, I this actually so works. I have pictures of people with those post-its. Right. It's so amazing. Um, I love that. So but you put it through the WAC filter, which is an acronym for what is it, how does it work, are you sure, and can you do it? And it basically orders the information when you want to explain that to somebody because that's how people make decisions. They conceptualize it first. They contextualize it, how it relates to them next, and then they actualize it as in how does it work So, or how do I make it happen? So the W is <laughs> literally, what is it? Mm-hmm. like? You gotta explain right out of the right out of the gate what is it that you're offering? What's the opportunity? What do you do? You know, I host a podcast about book people and authors and about books. Like it's just that simple. What is it? Okay, and now I get that big piece. How does it work? Is the H, which is the functionality of what you do and how does it actually get there? So if I'm pitching a TV show, it's like, here's what the TV show, it's the biggest loser. It's overweight contestants are competing to lose weight. And it's like, we split them into two teams. Like it, it, it's the core mechanics, right? Once you get those two things out, you've now let the audience conceptualize what it is they're looking at. From that moment on, then your facts and your figures and your logic and your reason and your history actually make sense and there's value to it. And that's the, are you sure? It's sort of like, can you validate this? Can you, can you tell me something that makes me accept the fact that that this is real or that you've done this right and that becomes that moment where you get to tell people all your facts and then the end is can you do it and what can you do it is like okay who are you like how long have you been doing this before what is the price how do i order it is it in stock like any of those things but only then are they interested in hearing that that's right seems like too many people start with that they start with that or they start with the facts or the figures and and they try to explain how big and how many clients they've had or whatever. And it's like, okay, that's great. But like, I don't even know what you do yet. Like, I don't even understand how this works. And that's where I walk people through how to like, okay, if you just explain the core elements, what is it that you do? Okay, great. And how does that work? All right. Now I want to put some context to it. Now I want to understand how it works for me. And that is the, it's such a core element to how we make decisions and how we rationalize decisions to ourselves and to others, to put it in that format just rings with people. So it's rings so true with people. Yeah, I was surprised at the simplicity of it. And you almost have to read the book to understand then why it works. It's not don't don't just start here. You you need to read it. And there's quite there's chapters on each on on yeah. each of these. What is the mistake that more often than not, uh, if we haven't touched on it, that part? What is it? Why does that work better than what people traditionally do? In other words, what happens if you don't start with what is it? Well, what happens is that they start to form that initial decision in their head. That's just the way people are, right? It's like the second you start talking, once I get to a point where I can understand what it is you do and how you do it and do I want it, I make the yes or no in my head. And sometimes that's only 15 seconds. Sometimes it's 30, you know, sometimes it's 30 seconds. And if you're lucky and if you do it right and if you follow what's in the book, I can show you how to extend people's decision, that initial decision process for maybe up to three minutes. That's really what the three minute rule is. Like, hey, do this right. You might get three minutes where you can explain everything to somebody before they make a decision. And so if you don't start with that structure, if you don't let people naturally form that, what I call the inform and lead method, if Mm -hmm. you don't lead them along that thing, they're going to make decisions 
based on information that they don't have the, the right context for or they haven't put the right value to. And the biggest mistake I see is people starting with the hook of their proposal. And the hook of your proposal is sort of like the big proclamation. It's what makes it um, the most interesting, the most dynamic. What What is the coolest element? It's, it's like when I well, tell you an example with that. Um, Example of a hook, and and then you have to explain why you should not open with it. In fact, you yeah. even say, you even say the hook is something you almost don't need to say. That's right, exactly. So let me give you um, the perfect example of the hook. When I sold Bar Rescue with John Taffer, the hook of that show is John Taffer is the Gordon Ramsay for bars and nightclubs. Mm-hmm. Right, that's it. They, like Gordon Ramsay is a massive celebrity. His show is a huge hit. John Taffer's the next Gordon Ramsay, but in a different world. Okay. So like that's the, that's the boom, right? That's the hook of that show. That's what makes it what it is. That's the coolest part that makes me. And this is what I tell, teach people is like, that's the moment where you go and I go, Oh, that's cool. Now to get context for that, you need a lot of other things. And if I would have walked into the room with that network and say, Hey, Oh, great. We're excited to pitch your show called bar Rec- rescue because John Taffer is the Gordon Ramsay of bars and nightclubs. Okay. The network president would not have, you know, sit up in his chair and be like, oh, I'm so excited to hear this. He would have been like, oh, God, really? And then every single thing I said from that moment on, he would have been like, well, I don't know if that's Gordon Ramsay. Like, oh, he's not bad, but I mean, he's not that good. Yeah, it's like you said, oh, prove it, prove it. Right then they're saying prove it. Exactly. So what I did in that moment was I said, like, we're going to show called Bar Rescue. Here's how it works. You know what I mean? Like, here's the process. So I said what it is. It's a standalone, you know competition format where we make over bars and restaurants, struggling bars and restaurants, right? So that's like what it is. That's what the show is. Here's how it works. John goes into a bar nightclub that's struggling. He does an assessment, finds out where their problems are. And then using his sort of brash style, he turns them around, right? And so I explain those pieces. Then I show a little bit of what John does. I talk about a little bit of John's background and the history that he's basically a scientist for bars and restaurants. And, and I have that. So once you understand what the show is and how it works, then it's like, okay, well, the fact that he's really in the business and the fact that he's probably the foremost expert in bar nightclub consulting now that actually has value now you're starting to apply that information those facts and figures to the concept and then as i showed the video of john as we talked about what the butt funnel was and we talked about the, his elements the network president said oh so he's basically our gordon ramsay for bars and nightclubs yes right? <laughs> and that's that's the moment and like even if he hadn't said it, he was at least starting to think that way. I was bringing him to that conclusion. So what I show people in the book and was so important is you want to inform and lead. You you lead the audience to where your hook is. It's the way movies have been told for a hundred years. The reason why you sat three hours to watch a movie about a boat that sinks is because James Cameron knows how to lead an audience with a story. He, le- he leads you peace by piece of the information of the characters, of the information of the situation, of the plight that they're going through, of what's at stake, and then eventually you desire the same conclusion that he does. And you even know that the boat's going to sink, but you want to see it and you're riveted. And when you do it right, you can lead your audience in a pitch or presentation to feel the same desire for the conclusion that you do. Right. And even in the book you talked about, I can't remember which um, Hollywood person it was, but they, the script writer who said, you always have to include and then. Yeah. So 
Stephen J. Cannell was one of the greatest writers in Hollywood history, and he was a very simple writer, though. Like he didn't, he couldn't have written Lost, you know. Thank God, because Lost was terrible. But that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but you know, he was the guy who wrote the A Team, and the guy who he would, you know, he trained the guys who wrote CSI and and that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. what it was is called and then storytelling, which is basically he walked you through an episode piece by piece. You knew what the bad guys were doing. You knew what was happening. They went here and they learned this and then they go over here and then they learn that. So then we go over and talk to this person and then this happens. So now we're going to do this and then this happens. And by the end of it, if you ever watch the A-Team or CSI or any of these things, like you kind of know how it's going to end every single time. Yet you can't turn away. You watch them sort of week after week and it's the same storyline and plot line over and over again. But because the story is laid out in such a clean and crisp way, you naturally are drawn and you build your desire for the good guys to win. It's just the way it works. Mm-hmm. So, Brent, you say in the book that it's not just about getting it down to three minutes. It's about finding the best three minutes. So, yeah. <laughs> can you talk a bit about how to start to compress everything you think you need to say into only what needs to be said. I don't know. Maybe talk, maybe talk about yeah. the post-it note thing because that was such a revelation for me. Well, it's it's crazy because I've had, I mean, in the literal sense, Fortune 100 CEOs with, you know, green and blue post-it notes scattered across their desk, running a company they've been running for 18 years, laying out the basic elements in one and two word bullet points. And it's just such a powerful exercise. And there is no substitute for post-it notes or index cards. Having the tactile version of them in your fingers that you can move around and slide side to side and put in front of each other is just so powerful. And it forces you to look at it in the simplified version. As you saw in the book, like I put 25 bullet points to a television show that you've never heard of, that you have no idea what it is, that I don't give you any context for. And you're not even in television and you know what the show is just by reading 25 bullet points. Mm-hmm. And I did just did the exercise yesterday in the keynote I was doing is where I had the audience basically bullet point what they do just in simple one or two words and then share it with their neighbor. And like you're listening to people basically describe what other people do just based on bullet points. So it really helps you get to the core value. And in the book, I really focus on those first basic pieces, which is just like bullet point out in one or two words what you do, why it's valuable. Now that, to get to 25 though, they might have 100 post-it notes on the wall sometime? I mean, I hope. If you can get to 100, that'd be great, but that's usually not the way it goes. It usually goes the other way around. They get about 18. Okay. And, and then it's like, because they they just, they're, they're going into their head again of the simple things, that like the way they think about it. And they, they're so connected to their information. Yes. They love their information. Mm-hmm. They know, they love those phrases. They love the words they've been using. And so I use an exercise called, I don't get it. Which is, okay, so it's like, what do you do? It's like, oh, I, I host a podcast about uh, authors and books. Oh, what do you mean authors? I don't get it. Well, you know, people who write books, they come on the podcast. Oh, why would they want to do that? Oh, because they're selling about, well, why is that important? And I just, I don't get it. I don't get that. I don't get that. And you do that 12, 15 times, it forces you to explain every nuance, every detail, every piece of value. Why, why is that important? Oh, I don't understand that. Well, because this happens, because of that. And when you do that exercise for yourself, you start to find pieces. So 
if you do it right, you could end. You should end up with about 40. By the time you get into statements of value, you should have 40 little pieces that really sort of illustrate what you do. And then you can start to shuffle them around. It's really easy by then to start shuffling them into those order. Use the whack method. And then you can see, okay, this comes first because I have the I have the and then exercise too, which is like, what piece of information do you need to understand this before? And what information comes right after it? And you can see things almost like a jigsaw puzzle, mm-hmm. right? You put these three post-it notes together because those things flow and these four go together and this one doesn't seem to fit anywhere. And now you're like, oh, wait a second. Like you start to see it come to life and you have simple information in front of you and all of a sudden it starts to ring true. And when you when you can explain something to somebody really clearly and they understand it the same way you do it, you feel that. There's a confidence that comes with that, that, that the audience, they pick up on that. Mm-hmm. So, at the risk of mentioning uh, a movie that might not everybody might not know about, but the Karate Kid, you know, when he he suddenly realizes, yeah, wax on, wax off, ah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, it's like, oh, this all fits together. Yeah, oh, I get it. Yeah, that was yeah. sort of uh, the experience I was having as I was yeah. reading it and trying to get started on this. I want to ask you about a statement in your book. You say the number one mistake you see is combining information with engagement. Now, yeah. that sounds good to me, but explain why that's a, a, a perilous thing. Well, because the audience has to get through their initial decision-making process before they're going to engage and start on a real conversation, right? And that's what, I mean, you're never going to sell somebody on your initial pitch. That's not the way the world works anymore. Everybody's in decision by committee mode and there's no way out of it. So, and that's fine. That's the way the world is. I get it. Everybody wants to check Amazon reviews. Everybody's going to ask their wife first. Everybody's got to go to the board. Like, I get it. But what happens is, is that people when you understand what your product or business or service is so intimately and you understand the value of every piece so well, it fits so perfectly. It's like when you watch a movie that you're in, that you love, that you've seen 20 times. Like Braveheart. You, right. Well, for me, it's Braveheart. <laughs> but right. you, you notice every detail, every word. You, you like appreciate the way that it was scripted, the angles of the director. You know the subtleties of the character. It just makes it so much better, right? Mm-hmm. But someone who watched it the first time, they don't see all that. They just see the story first, right? And then you develop that, that love for it. So it's the same thing when you're presenting information. Like what happens is, is that there are certain things that only become valuable after someone's decided that they want to engage with you, that they, that they understand what it is, they understand how it's going to work. They, they believe that what you're doing is actually possible and now they know how they can get, they can get involved. Now they want to talk further about how it, like their questions, their needs, their desires, their, how it solves their problems. Right. And what a lot of people do is they try to do that ahead of time. And I just had somebody ask me yesterday from the audience about like, well, what about, you know, solving your audience's problem? What about identifying the problem and, and, and doing that? It's like, yes, that's a great idea. If you had a time machine and could go back 20 years. You can't solve your audience's problem. Like they know that. They know that's what you're trying to do. And it doesn't feel good, right? It's just like use your client's name over and over again. Like we used to teach people that. Like, how would you feel if someone was kind of tell you something and they were like, Doug, this, oh, Bob, this, Jimmy, what do you think, Jimmy? How about this, Jimmy? Oh, I like this, Jimmy. Like it, it's just like, but that was we taught people that. That was a real thing because. That's what we, I mean, I don't know. That's what used to work back in the day. Now that stuff is just like, it just creeps people out. They, nobody wants to be sold. That's it. So get through the basics first. Explain to them what it is. Explain to them how it works. Explain to them why you're excited about it. 
and how they can get it and then let them lead the engagement. If you're trying to have conversations too early or tell them how how cool and how great this is or an anecdote about a customer had it before or whatever, that's stuff you need to save for that engagement phase when people are actually interested. Yes, and it's so true. I recently went with my son when he was buying a car and we just wanted to write a check and leave. <laughs> <laughs> no, they had to draw it out, and and the salesperson was very nice, and she, you know, was trying to get the car cleaned up and all that sort of thing. And then after waiting for forty five minutes for something, they brought us into this room, and it was a different person, and he had this really slick presentation on a tablet, and you know, all that sort of thing. And I swear, I I thought I was going to have a heart attack. It was, yeah, I was being, we were being sold to, and it. I said, you know, we, we just want to get the paperwork and leave. We're not interested in any of these things. And what's crazy is, is you might have been interested in them. That's what's the craziest yes. thing. There's a possibility you could have been interested in them. They don't know that. And it's like, but you were like, I'm tuned out. I'm not interested. My intelligence was insulted. I yes. just thought, does this really work? No, I mean, it's not it working doesn't. for us. And so I just, oh, it was, it, it, you're, you're at, my point is you're absolutely right. It really got me more irritated and annoyed probably than it would have two, five years ago. Yeah, so, and it's, I worked with Harley Davidson, and one of the problems that they were having is that people walk into the dealership knowing more about the motorcycles <laughs> and the models than the salespeople do mm-hmm. because they've, they've studied it online. Like Nobody walks into a Harley Davidson dealership to learn about what the motorcycles are and where they come from, any of that stuff, because they know that stuff. Mm-hmm. They're fans, obviously. And all that stuff's online. So it's like, it was a reprogramming. They'd be like, well, you're not there to sell that. You're there to facilitate. Now, if you have extras that you want to offer people, like let's start with the basics. Why would someone want the undercoating? Why would someone want these things? What are the, what is the real value to them? And it's like, okay, let's just explain that. And if they can find value for themselves, they'll buy it. If not, then you have no choice of selling them. Unless you want to catch that one or two three people now in the world today that can be pressure tactic into something. Yes, like but then your, 97 your, of them are going to hate you and never come back and they're going to tell other people. Yeah, I've been working with a company on their timeshare business and it's been a real challenge because they have traditionally been a high pressure sales tactic that makes you buy an emotion right in the moment. They need to get you in the moment where you sign on the dotted line. And I was like, like nobody really does that anymore. And the customers that you can get to do that are fewer and farther between and that's going to keep dwindling and, and like you're going to end up pandering to the same people that you can basically trick. And it's like, let's back this up. Like timeshares aren't a scam. They don't work for everybody, but there are people who find real value in them. Why don't we just deal with that? Why don't right. we start with the value that it can provide? And it's like, hey, if you fit this criteria, this could be a really great option for you. Right. Let me explain what that criteria is. And it's like, okay, now I'm interested. And it's like, if you've got, if you've got, and I have had businesses that have tried to hire me where I said like, listen, I can't work with you because you need to trick people because if they knew the real details, they wouldn't be interested because it is cheaper here. It's like, and that's happened quite a bit, especially with like, um, public companies. I, I get a lot of big public companies that want me to help with their investor presentations. And the problem is it's like, well, I'm just basically, you just want me to make a slicker story about a stock price that probably isn't great. It's like, it's just it's just lipstick on a pig kind of thing. It's like, there's not really 
interesting for me because it's like I'm just trying to convince people that your stock's a good buy where it's like I'm thinking about shorting your stock. So <laughs> right. maybe well, maybe I'm not the right guy for you. Before we get to the, the couple of PowerPoint things, I, I do your, your comment about the publicly traded company in the book, you couldn't have been clearer that your audience will hate you for hiding the negative. Talk oh, about man. how people can use a weakness as a strength in their pitching because there's a downside to every product or service or, or pitch. That's one of my first question is, what do you hope the audience doesn't find out? Yes. What, what question do you hope they don't ask you about? Because the fact is, is that they are going to ask that question. They are going to find that out. And there are only three options and do not think there's a fourth. There are only three. Option one is you bring it up in the room at the moment. Okay. That's one. And then you deal with it. Option two is your audience brings it up in the room because they've been thinking about it. And the problem with that is when you mention something and they get an idea that's probably not working or something that's an issue or where they see a problem, it's not like they blurt it out instantly. They probably process the information, think about it. You're not answering it. You haven't brought it up. So eventually they, they, at the end of your presentation, they say, okay, but what about your financing model? Or, well, how many listeners do you actually have? Or, or, you know what I mean? Like that means they've been thinking about it for the last minute and a half or whatever it is, <laughs> yeah. not listening to you. Okay. So that's mm -hmm. number two. And number three, nobody brings it up and the pitch goes without it, but they're going to find it out later. Yeah. And then they're going to think you avoided it or they're going to think that you hit it or they're just going to deal with it on their own and make the decision. And that is the worst possible scenario. There is no version where it just goes unnoticed because that's mm -hmm. not the way the world is today. So in movies and television and storytelling, they use what's called the all is lost moment. It's where... Rocky Balboa gets knocked down basically for the last time and it's so bad and he's been had the crack kicked out of him so much that he hits the cameras. He's not getting back up. What a loser. I can't believe after all this, I sat through this movie for an hour and a half and now at the end, the guy is knocked out cold on the canvas and he's not getting back up. You don't turn off and walk away all angry. You scream at the television, get up, wake up, get up. And you're thinking like, he can do it, please, right? Yeah, I'm invested in you. You're invested because you want to solve the problem. You want to see the resolution. And so then he gets back up. We build this all as lost moment where everything's a disaster. And it's as horrible as you could possibly imagine. These, and the, and the, our <clears throat> protagonist has lost everything. And then it builds your desire. And, I, and you can use that in a pitch or presentation where if you bring up the problem, and it was like in the book, I tell the story of John Bon Jovi where he didn't want to go do the pitch. Because we were basically making up what his job was going to be if he had a regular job instead of being a rock star. And he didn't believe in it. And so I, to get him to go to the room, I just said, hey, we'll just talk about this with the network. And I literally said to the network in the meeting, we're not sure this show actually works because John's never thought about doing any other job but being uh, doing music. Mm -hmm. And so we're really worried about it's just going to come off as inauthentic because he, he's never wanted to do anything else but music. And like we basically just told the network, the show that we just pitched you probably doesn't even work because this, you know, the big stars can't do it for real. And the network was like, well, wait a second. You know, there could be some really other authentic moments that could come of this, John. You might never, you know, you've probably missed out on certain things in life that someone who has more of a family and has more of a regular job might think. And there could be some real moments where you see some, oh, that's interesting. And, you know, develop from there. And I realized like, oh, I just let the network sort of help solve my problem. I just told the network that I'm so confident in the value of the idea that I don't, this, this issue is not a deal breaker. Cause if it was a deal breaker, I wouldn't be sitting there. And I also got to mention again, that John Bon Jovi is such a huge rock star that he's never, and, and he's been talking to all his friends and they all agree 
that they've never wanted to do anything but music. That's the type of rock stars we're talking about for this show. Mm-hmm. It was so powerful. I was like, I started doing that in every pitch and I start, I do that with every company and my public companies. I do that even more with because that's the kind of thing that they, that traditionally they try to hide. They try to hide shit in their balance sheet. They try to gloss over financial issues because they're so excited about their type one diabetes, anti-rejection drug that they don't want to show people that their debt ratio is off. And it's like, no, nobody cares about that. Like, let's just get into it. And I've had moments where like investors in the room put up their hand, be like, would you be interested in a convertible note? <laughs> and, and they're like, oh, well, yeah. Cause it's like, well, it's not like, oh, you have financial, uh, all, uh, your debt's off. I'm, I'm not interested in this revolutionary drug that could change the world. Like right. it doesn't work like that. You know? mm. Well, and I think in the past it was easier to hide things like that. Yeah, of course. What are you going to go to an encyclopedia at the library and look it up? <laughs> right. Like we used to deal with people. We used to invest in people. We used to buy from people because you had to believe them. You had to judge. Do I believe you? Because I can't really val- validate or verify this. Now nobody does it. I don't, I don't need to believe you. I don't need to like you. I don't need to trust you. It doesn't matter. I'm going to check out this information anyways. There's nothing you can say that I can't validate or verify. And in fact, I'm so used to that as a consumer. If I can't validate or verify it somewhere else, I don't want to do it. I mean, your audience, if you've been on Amazon and you see a product, but there's no reviews and you're like hesitant because you're like, hmm, no Amazon reviews. What does that mean? Right? Like that. Welcome to our world. (laughs) Right. Right. So Brent, what are the things about PowerPoint that really grind your gears? What are the biggest mistakes people are making? People use their handouts as their slides. They make a they make a quote unquote leave behind that they're going to hand out, and then they put it on the screen, and people have to read it, and it like it just ruins it. And they jam it with information, and they it's just like a it's almost like a crutch. Like it's there's nothing there. It doesn't have any value, and it's complicated, and it's messy, and it's like it doesn't help a presentation. When you, if you ever see me speak, I, listen, I'm a Hollywood guy. I have people that worked for me that worked on avatar. Like I could have graphics do tricks you've never even seen. (laughs) And when I do it, when I do a speech, I literally use black and white text, a white screen with black text. And like one thought. Yeah. One thought. And I walk through the thoughts by piece by piece. And why do I do that? Because it's like, well, I want to accentuate certain elements. Sure. So I'll put that up there. But other than that, like I'm using the PowerPoint to lead you through what I want to tell you. Mm-hmm. And then if I have a, a fancy prospectus or a big, beautiful deck leave behind that I've spent money getting designed, then I'll leave it after. Here, I'm going to leave this for you. And it's like, I, nobody's reading that unless they understand what it is. And that's the problem. It's like, if I get you to understand what it is, how it works, that I can actually do it and deliver it to you, you might actually me- read my prospectus. You might be interested to dig, dig into the financial model. You might actually want to do due diligence on my company. And that's like for the small cap, micro cap public companies, like that's the hardest thing I have to get them to understand is like, well, I know you got good financial issues. I know you got all these things, but no one cares. Like you got to get them to understand what is your company does? What's the story? What's even happening here? And then they'll go back to their office and say, hey, I'd like to do due diligence on this company. That's it. That's the only goal of this presentation (laughs) is to get someone to look into your company further. So you don't need to put this slide up there. They're not reading it. They're not interested. Yeah, you talk about a picture is worth 1,000 bullet points and don't be afraid of white space. Don't read your slides. And the other one that's great is a maximum of 10 slides. And that brought to mind the Guy Kawasaki 10-20-30 rule, which is uh, he says you should never have more than 10 slides. 
you should never speak more than 20 minutes. Of course, yours is different. But then he also said, you should never, if you have words on any of your slides, they should never be smaller than 30 point font size. I mean, it's not terrible advice, I have to say. And listen, that's the thing. Like, I train people not to give three minute pitches. They, I, they'll do a 30 minute presentation. 20 minutes is, is actually better. And I, I don't think I've had anybody go after past 20 and any of the stuff I do. But you know, it's like 17, 15, whatever it is, like because there's real information there. And it's not about just getting everything to three minutes. It's getting the best three minutes. Yes. The first three minutes. And sometimes it's less than three minutes. The first once you the what is that whack method say? How do you get that information out? You if you do it right and you have great information, you could make it three minutes. If it's only a minute and 19 seconds, that's great. People love that. Sometimes yeah. stuff is really easy to do. And it's like, okay, it takes you a minute to explain it. It's like, oh, I love it. You know? So a lot of your three minute presentations, you don't leave in three minutes. A lot of them have turned into long conversations, right? Well, that's the, that's the actual goal. And when I, when I talk about objectives, I say, you got to think really small. Like when I go pitch a television show, I'm not trying to get them to order the TV show in the room. (laughs) I'm press hard. There's three copies, (laughs) right? Like what I'm trying to get them to do is ask questions. I want them to engage. That's the main goal of this pitch of this show, engage. Mm-hmm. And so if I can get a network buyer to start asking questions, I have a chance at them coming up with the idea that this show could work for their network. Right. Because that's what it is. And, and my, my main goal for people in life is to get to a point where they can explain what they do and the value of it so that others understand it. So that before you're judged, you can make other people understand it. And there's not a network president in this business that I've ever pitched anything to that didn't understand the full concept and the value of it. Now, I didn't sell as many shows as I pitched. I, I mean, you look at the ratio, it feels like I sold nothing because that's what television is. You pitch 100 shows and you might get one. But no one didn't understand it. And that's what I can take these clients through. And that's what the book will do. It'll make it so that no matter what you're trying to convey to others, no matter what you're trying to influence them to do, they will understand the value of it. Now it still may not be for them, but at least they will understand it first. And I think you just answered the question I typically ask at the end of each interview. If readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Yeah, that no one will ever leave an interaction with you saying, I don't get it. And that's super powerful. Like that's super powerful. It's also really, really hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because <laughs> it's pain. It's painful. I see that. I see that frustration in people's face where they have something they truly believe in, and that they really believe is is valuable and can provide for others, and they just can't make people get it. They just can't get it across. And there's a frustration of that that I've seen from PTA presidents to Fortune 100 CEOs to professional athletes. Mm. So before somebody even reads it, what is one thing the listener could do today to put in action just one idea from your book? I would say bullet points. Get a set of post-its out and write 20 bullet points about what you do, your business, your product, your service. Try to get it to one or two or three words. Just Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And everything of value about everything you provide. You know what I mean? It would be like certified accountant, you know, tax preparation, like that's it. Just go through all of that. And then what happens is after you get to the first six, you're like, oh, what am I supposed to put on here? Then it starts making you think, okay, well, what actually do I do well? Oh, I'm, you know, highly effective. Like, and you gotta, you gotta get a little bit deeper, which you probably haven't done before. Just that exercise alone. I just watched it with a hundred people last night. 
Just that exercise alone will put a smile on your face and will, it will shock you. It will shock you how much information you can put in just a few words. And then you'll be like, oh my God, I'm trying too hard. I have been, I've been working so hard. I didn't need to do this. I could say less and get more. Yeah. I think you used the term in the book, uh, I'm overcooking it. You said at yes. one point you guys were trying, as you went through this years long journey to figure out this approach, you talked about a pitch where you said, I, we're just overcooking this. We're overcooking okay. this. So that, of course, added to the drama, added to the drama of the story in your book. So uh, what books have inspired your work and career? Um, one of the first sort of business books was How to Win Friends and Influence People by mm-hmm. Dale Gar- Carnegie. Of course, that was one of the big ones for me. I really it's enjoyed still that. a pretty good book. Still a pretty good book. My daughter is in love with it. You know, she's 16 years old and she's been reading it for probably two years now. She's probably read it 15 times. Wow. She's going to do well. Yeah. And I think, ironically, Oren's sort of, when I read Pitch Anything, I was like, oh, wow, this is very strong focused approach to this. And I appreciated that a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. The idea that it wasn't just sort of like um, ambiguous thoughts on how to improve yourself. Right. Right. I heard a lot. I read read a lot of that. And like, I was getting a little bit fatigued of the sort of like improve yourself, think differently, change your mindset. Like I I get it. Okay. I get it. I get it. But like my mindset's still the same, but I change it for 25 minutes. I I need some like (laughs) Practical stuff. Yes. And so Oren's book did really well for me to see how sort of straightforward, straight to the point, do this, then that. Pitch anything you're talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pitch anything was really good that way. And Flip the Script is also really good as well. But, you know, for me, it also was like, okay, I can't really do what Oren does. Like, Oren has a real flair for the almost confrontation, right? He puts it right out in front. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm a I'm a wimp in the in the way that I don't do that very well. Well and, and as Oren will tell you, there's only one Oren Claff. Yeah, he'll tell you that. I, I kid because I love, okay. I know I love him too. <laughs> but it, it really gave me a sense of like, okay, when you lay something out clean like this and you explain people how to do it, and it helped me build what I do because I there was just certain elements that I as a sort of a insecure kind of narcissistic person myself, it's like, I can't do that. I can't. Have, what if someone doesn't like me? What if someone thinks that I'm, I'm being aggressive? Ooh, oh, yeah. what well, a, and you're Canadian. So that's, yeah, that's an Canadian, issue. So it's like, Ooh, yeah, that's not going to work for me. So are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or looking forward to reading? I just read Captivate by Vanessa Van Edwards. Oh. And it's really good. It's really good. She's amazing. She does things that are completely sort of different than what I do. And we have unbelievable complimenting skills now. And we're going to start working together on stuff. And it's just really good because she teaches you the science of what makes people likable and what people are drawn to. And the same way that I do it with information, she does it with people. And it's like, why why are certain people that you meet right away, you're drawn to them? And why are other people that you're turned off by? And she did cool stuff like she studied every TED Talk that's ever been made. And she counted every single hand gesture. And she cross-referenced them. So the most popular TED Talk in history, the presenters use 482 hand gestures and the least popular ted talks in history the presenters use 212 hand gestures wow and so and then she started cataloging all of those things it's like here's the type of gestures here's you know and so it's like really kind of fascinating that way so it's really good yeah i'm just looking it up here i i i was not aware of that book and that's why i asked that darn question that's how i found out about your book it's captivate the science yeah the, the science of succeeding with people 472 ratings. Wow. That really yeah, looks good. It's, it's really good. It's really good. Yeah. Mm, boy. Well, so, uh, terrific. Listen, at, uh, 
marketingbookpodcast.com, we're going to include links to your sites and your social media and your LinkedIn profile so listeners can connect with you and thank you for being on the show. And we're also going to include a link to your website, uh, threeminuterule.com. But I was wondering if you could talk about the things that you will do uh, if for people who read the book. Uh, you know, there's a couple things you offered where if people people can submit the, their ideas or their PowerPoint, but they have to be under three minutes, something like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's pretty generous. I, I know. I have a few forms on, on there that you can do. You can send me your bullet points and I'll, and I'll kick back a log line to you of what I think your company does. I got one the other day that I was four words off from his log line and my log line were only four words different. So that's kind of cool. So yeah, you can do that. You can send me um, any any of your three minute pitches. I'll go through and I'll tell you sort of my my impressions on that, and how to improve that. So I got a few things that you can sort of send in and try your log lines out, send your your bullet points in, send me your PowerPoint. I, I love working with people. I like helping people. So it's so much more re- rewarding than TV ever was. Oh wow, yeah, that's interesting. Well. Uh- Full admission, I may take you up on that at some point. Oh, listen, you I love folks, that. Everybody needs to read the book, though, so you'll understand what it is you're, you're submitting. But I think that's really uh, very generous, and I hope you don't regret it if you get a torrent <laughs> of these things. But I, it probably I, helps it's been, you. It's been crazy. gives yeah. you ideas. So uh, listen, for the listener, if you're listening on your smartphone, you subscri- if you subscribe to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found right now by going to this episode and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is The Three-Minute Rule, Say Less to Get More from Any Pitch or Presentation. The author is Brant Pinvidic. Brant, thank you very much for joining us on the Marketing Book Podcast. Absolutely. Loved it. Closes the book on episode 257 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, Blinkist, to support the Marketing Book Podcast and start your free Blinkist trial or get 20% off your yearly plan. Visit Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. I also have a link to the special offer at MarketingBookPodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Marcus Sheridan back to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about the revised and updated edition of his best-selling book, They Ask, You Answer, a revolutionary approach to inbound sales, content marketing, and today's digital consumer. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This episode was produced by Amanda Harrison. And uh, just out of curiosity, you said, uh, so we rescheduled because you were going to, amongst other things, you had to go and be on uh, Good Morning America. Were you on that? Yes. No, I got bumped. Oh, shoot. So now I'm back uh, on it December 5th, 4th and 5th. I'm going out there to New York to do that and Kelly and uh, Ryan. So we'll see. Okay. Okay. It just depends. Like it's just the news cycle has been so psychotic. Like even yesterday with I almost got bumped out of a Seattle one. I was in Seattle. So it's just been the impeachment hearing. I could do all of my stuff I shot in Portland was all like recorded, not live because they went live with the impeachment hearing the whole day. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the nature of it, but you have to show up if if you're going to get on. So yeah, it's just been, it's just been a little bit hectic getting that kind of 
news stuff just because now you know they're doing so much more political stuff which means now i'm out there competing with like big movies and fucking hugh jackman and it's just weird it's just been a weird press run 